0: You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast, I'm Daniel Fuller, come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge, with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. I come from a landscape, parks and gardens maintenance background. I reckon it's one of the best ways to enter the horticulture industry and if you're working for a larger company, it's also one of the best places to advance your career, especially if you're ambitious and would like to get into leadership and management. Right now, employers are desperate to find good staff who are passionate about what they do. You don't even need to have experience to land a great job in this space, although it never hurts of course. In this episode, I've got two people representing a couple of the larger national employers that are advertising open positions on the new industry job board I created, HortPeople.com. Troy Mansell is the CEO of GLG, or Green Life Group, and Heath Appleton is an operations manager with UMS, or Urban Maintenance Systems. In this episode, we're going to give you some parks, gardens, and landscape maintenance career advice. So welcome to the show, Troy. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort of work that you do and the people that your organisation help? Like what sort of value does GLG bring to the community?
1: Yes, uh, thanks, Daniel. Thanks for the invite. So uh, Green Life Group uh, are a grounds maintenance provider. So we do do a number of other services as well, but on a smaller scale, but largely in the market, that's what we're known for. Uh, So primarily our client base is local government. And we do have a little bit of sort of utility customers as well, and some aged care customers, and a few sectors like that. Uh, but again, you're largely the the local government sector. So, I guess from that perspective, we're we're servicing the the end client, if you like, which is the resident. Uh, so they're the the people that we're trying to keep the most happy, uh, the people that use the the parks and gardens and walkways and and open spaces that we tend to. So. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, our focus.
0: Great. Fantastic. And Heath, tell me about you guys. What, what does UMS do? Like, I guess you're also a, a similarly large company like GLG, you know, you're national, you're all over the country. What, what do you guys do? Who do you serve?
2: So similar to, to, uh, what Troy discussed, um, you know, our paths cross more often than not. Um, we operate in similar spaces, uh, local government, state government contracts. Um, you know, our, our customers we see are uh, in our local government space are the community. Um, these people use these parks and open space areas, you know, more often than not, especially over the last couple of years, um, which, you know, all open space maintenance contracts and contractors would have experienced you know a higher detail in there so we really value um bringing the best service possible to the open space environments that we work in.
0: Mm-hmm. so it sounds like yes your client is technically council but really the people who you serve are the community both of you
2: yeah i mean rates people pay rate payers pay the council that, that that pay us so uh, you know we look at um the client is our as our you know point of contact but uh the community are our client yeah that's it spot on heath so our uh,
1: the contract is with with local government but as they they will tell us often you know they're the custodian of the of the ratepayers money so the decisions they make and the directions they give or the expectations they have on us are, are largely the expectations of of their ratepayers of their community so um yeah we, our goal is and this is i guess where it comes down to how we we um impart values on our staff is uh it's about the people using the parks and how they feel about using those parks so we try to work hard on creating a nice uh user experience uh, for those people because they're ultimately the ones that are either happy with or not happy with the work that we do
0: <laughs> yeah i think that's a wonderful outlook as well so Troy, I was team leader for GLG there for a while. And one of the things I used to tell people was that what we do every day actually really matters. So the people who turn up, you know, the families that are there at their picnic, they pull out their picnic rug, they sit down. None of that's possible without the people that turn up on the mower and... You know, you wouldn't think that sometimes given the look that the, that the, <laughs> the picnickers give you when you come up on the ride-on mower and, you know, working a couple of hundred metres away from them because they think you're just there to annoy them. But really what we're there to do is to create these beautiful spaces for people to actually enjoy because people go to work and then they come home and on the weekends they need somewhere to recreate.
2: Yes, yep, spot on.
0: What are some of the things you think staff members want out of a parks and gardens role?
2: a <laughs> Very good question. Um, especially now um, with how hard the, the, it is to um, attract anyone in any industry, but especially our industry at the moment, um, I think it's, you know, in past it's sort of been frowned upon a little bit that, you know, you just get out there and you jump on a mower or you pull a weed or, or something like that. But, um, you know, I think people um, enter in the open space environment. I know when I when I joined uh, UMS yeah, nearly 15 years ago that, um, I wanted it uh, back then as, you know, um, an opportunity to progress in the company. That's what I was looking for. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the people now um, work-life balance, you know, the hours that we work, you know, most of the companies start at you know, 7 a.m. or a touch earlier and finish at 3 o'clock. So it allows people with families and growing families these days to, you know, do the, the school pickup and, Etc. And still have a life outside of work as well. Um, you know, working outside is you know is great. Um, it's not so great when it's forty degrees or <laughs> pouring with rain and it's five degrees. But everything in between seems to be okay. So I think that's what attracts a lot of people to to working in the open space environment. Um, you get to see. Um, you know, visualise what you've you've created or maintained at the end. It's You're back there every two or three or four weeks, whatever the frequency might be. So, you know, I know a lot of the staff that we've had here um, at UMS for a long period of time, you know, they like they nearly take ownership of a park or a site or, mm. or a client. Um, and I think giving people that opportunity um, sits well with most people. Um, And I think, you know, they're the ones, those staff that enjoy coming to work um, for those reasons, basically.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, Troy, what do you think about that? So Heath's just said some of the main reasons are, you know, the quality of the work, the type of work it is, the work-life balance, and also like, you know, ownership over it. Like you can have something to be proud of at the end of the day or, you know, every month you're keeping these places looking good. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I think it's it's probably a good it's a good evolution that probably has happened in the industry a a bit over the last couple of years. So there was, I guess, there was always that percentage of people in the past who worked in the industry who were incredibly passionate about it, but there was it was probably quite evenly balanced with those that were just in in the industry for that progression or for the pay packet. Um, You know, nowadays because the I guess the pay in our industry versus what they could be getting in so many other places is so different that the the people that are coming into the industry or staying in in this in the industry are the ones that are uh genuinely passionate about this space and doing this sort of work. so our our best staff, you know the same as Heath, are the ones that that enjoy being in the open space. so I think there's a bit there too. Um, and it might be jumping ahead too much, but when we talk about, um, you know, trying to tap new markets for staff, uh, certainly sort of tapping into those people that have had enough of the, uh, I guess, the disconnected work um, life, as in it's they're not going into an office, you know, they're, they're on Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. Mm. Uh, the good people that we've attracted recently are the ones that have sort of they've missed that connection. Um, and, and it's almost sort of going back to a, uh, a very young or a child sort of like experience where the work's very tactile. So it's, it's very uh, uh, enjoyable on an immediate sort of a basis. So there's no sort of waiting for some feedback or anything like that. They can see uh, what they're doing. There's, there's that visual um, appreciation or recognition of what they're doing. So they're sort of going home even after a hard day. <laughs> um, yeah, knowing that they've achieved something, um, and yeah, I certainly think there's been a been a shift in uh, people's perception of uh, what this industry brings or what this industry gives to people from a from a work life balance.
0: Mm, that's really interesting. You brought up quite a few interesting points there. So I think the first one that I'd like to tackle on is that we're finding people who aren't coming from horticultural backgrounds. You know, these are people who are passionate about plants. They come home in the afternoons. They love gardening. They've already understood the benefits of that tactile element, as you said. Um, well, why don't you just have a job doing it? You don't have to keep it a hobby. You don't have to spend yes. money on gardening. You can actually make money from doing it, right?
1: Yeah, and I think that that shift is, is in part... Uh, Ours as well, so the way we looked at candidates mm-hmm. before you know if they didn't have the qualifications or if they didn't seemingly have the experience uh, we, we would have we may have overlooked them or looked past them uh, whereas now it's forced on us because the the labor market ha- has been so thin that it, it's made us sort of stop and look at some of these people a little bit more and some of the absolute gems that have come into our business have a have zero background whatsoever but you know it it doesn't take much for someone to be passionate about their own garden we all maybe not all but I I love mowing my own lawn I'm certainly not an expert at it but I take a lot of pride in it and and they're the sorts of people that you you tend to attract they've got zero experience um, zero qualification sometimes but they end up being your most passionate passionate workers
0: that's a great point. Heath, I know that you guys at UMS also have a, quite a few roles on HortPeople.com for people without experience as well. So are you going through a similar thing to what GLG are going through?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Um, and it, it's very interesting hearing Troy talk about that because, you know, I totally agree with what Troy was saying about, you know, in you know, two or three years ago, you might. You might have seen a couple of resumes come through and, oh, this guy comes from an IT background or this guy or girl come from an IT background. How are they going to know how to mow or do something like that? Mm. And, you know, I've got probably um, two or three now coordinators or supervisors in our company that started two years ago that um, was a pilot, um, was an IT exec, um, you know, coming from backgrounds like that. And they were either made redundant over the last couple of years um, or... Wanted to change, we're just tired of the, you know, nine to five, white colour, red tape, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and they've they've gone backwards, um, you know, in a pay bracket in a roundabout way. And they've they've come to do something to work out in the sunshine and you know well the rain the last two months. But uh, <laughs> they've come to work yeah. outside, and uh, they are really enjoying. their excelling, and and I guess the thing, and I'm sure Troy. Um, would agree that, you know, these people from these backgrounds um, that we haven't uh, employed recently are bringing so much more value to our business. They've got different ideas um, and we've taken on many of those ideas and implemented them across our business now. Um, So a lot of people talk about how hard the last couple of years are, but, you know, there's also a lot of positives out of it um, and we're talking about one right now that we've opened our minds to uh, employing, training um, people that, you know, We might not have two or three years
0: ago. I hope there are people listening right now who listen to this podcast who aren't in gardening. So the only reason why you would listen to a podcast like this is because you love it. So here we have two of the biggest employees in the space in the country literally telling you we need workers of all kinds, whether you're from the IT background, whether you're from an admin background, whatever. We actually need you in this industry. So I think that's fantastic, and that is definitely the message I'd like to be spreading I'd like to ask another question now. Let's start with you, Troy. Do you think that parks and gardens workers are underappreciated in the community or adequately appreciated within the community?
1: Oh, I think that's a tough one. I think generally they would be underappreciated. I think it's it's one of those roles where if the parks and gardens are looking good, then that's an expectation. <laughs> um, and so when they're not, then it hits the radar, Um so, but that, that wouldn't be probably fair to say because there's certainly, there's certainly a percentage of, of our client base and let's say we call them the residents who, who have a real appreciation for what we do and there is a lot of positivity out there sometimes of, of people saying thank you and, and showing that. Um, but it isn't, uh, it's, it's rare. It probably isn't well done. Um, and that sort of comes back to, you know, Heath talked about when you're bringing new people uh, into the organisation, what what that can do is sort of self perpetuate a little bit more positivity around things. You know, they start to talk to their friends and family, and it gives a I guess sometimes a different demographic a, an understanding of what it is to be in parks and gardens. Um, and so I think uh, I th- I think the the one good thing that has come out of that with the, these different people from different industries coming into it, it's almost like a cross. Like when uh, a rapper and Mariah Carey get together and sort of sing a song, they sort of bring two two uh, market bases together. So it's uh, it's it's working well for us. You know, some of the people we're attracting now we're we're attracting through people that have come in from completely different industries, and all of a sudden you have a few more sort of come from that space. So it's working mm-hmm. well.
0: Absolutely. Heath, what do you reckon, adequately or inadequately appreciated within the community are parks and gardens workers?
2: <sighs> Depends what day it is, uh, Daniel. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want to keep harping on the last couple of years, but if you think about the last five, ten years, um, you know, people's houses, everyone had a backyard ten years ago. Um, so was there as many parks um, being constructed or or required in open space environment? Probably not. Um, now, because people's houses are so small and, you know, these developments, you don't have much of a backyard. So if you've got a couple of kids or, you know, you want to stretch your legs, people are using parks more. And, you know, as Troy would note, there's, there's parks popping up in, in um, all municipalities, you know, every week nearly. Um, so I think people are using parks more. I think especially when the world was told we're not allowed outside, except for, you know, whatever it was, one or two hours a day, everyone was on a walking track, everyone was at a park because we were told we weren't allowed to go. Um, so then we we all use those parks. Um, you know, I found a walking track at the back of my house that I didn't even know that was there. And I lived there for three three years before COVID. So we started using that. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, to echo on what Troy was saying, that a lot of people expect parks to be um, maintained within a, you know, like the botanical gardens sometimes. Some people do expect that, but I think I think, and I honestly believe that more people are slowly respecting open space workers or the people in the industry, slowly but surely. We're getting there. Mm.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's really coming from that. Um, I like to say before COVID we all intellectually understood that we need gardens and that they're really good for us. But then through COVID, through the lockdowns, as you say, you know, we had to get out. That was our only chance to get outside was to walk around the gardens. Suddenly we felt it. So it's a different thing to intellectually understand the need for gardens and then to actually have experienced it yourself. And, you know, after you've gone walking every day for a couple of months, you really don't want to have to give that up. And, yeah, I think you're right. I think that that is playing into parks and gardens workers sort of getting a bit more recognition. I think I've been seeing that as well. You know, people, gardeners in, in general uh, sort of being seen as more of a a fun role, you know, a good role, a good, healthy, heartfelt role that's good for the community. Yeah, I
1: agree. Yeah, I think that was, you said a point there, which I think was a good point uh, in expanding on it. I think by having some of that freedom taken away, it then made, when we were able to get back outside again, it made that so much more valuable uh, and I guess, so much more front of mind of the spaces that you're actually going into, finding those walking tracks out the back of your house and, and those sorts of things. So um, COVID didn't do a whole lot of good things, but I think for our industry, mm. I think it certainly certainly did a lot um, of at least raising that awareness of just how important um, the open spaces are.
0: So, Troy, do you think that COVID played an impact on the staff shortage crisis in our industry?
1: uh yes and no so i think it it attracted some people to the industry because it was a an industry that um luckily enough for most of our workers were able to continue um because uh because the open spaces were so valued and they needed to be looked after and tended to so um those staff could keep keep working um the bit that Probably may it or that there was a negative towards it was uh, because there was a lot of obviously government benefits at the time too, and in our industry being low paid, um, it did attract you know some people. It did it did become a little bit easier for them to sort of stay home on those benefits as opposed to, to coming to work. Um, so probably, if anything, it it really just maybe weeded out those that weren't probably as passionate about the industry as as what we need.
0: Mm. What do you reckon, Heath? Would you, would you <laughs> agree?
2: Yeah, totally agree with that one. Um we we experienced very similar to uh experiences of, of what Troy was just discussing then, so um it has probably weighted out the people that weren't so passionate about it, um but I also think a lot of people took advantage of that period of time, um which yeah, you know, makes it harder on everyone. Um you know, not just you know, the likes of Troy and myself, but you know, the workmates in there with people, you know, um, not at work, and you know, their families were sick, and yeah, you know, there was a lot. It wasn't it wasn't a fun time. It wasn't a fun time for any industry, but um, especially ours. And I guess the only benefit to that is, you know, majority of our clients allowed us to work, um, you yeah, know, because you know we're essential. Um, and I think that got a lot of people through it as well. Um, you yeah, know, we were the lucky ones that could get out of, the, you know out of the house for eight hours a day and go to work. So I think that also was a bit of a positive through the the negative last couple of years.
0: Mm, Totally. So do you think that, like, I, I think it's so interesting the point that you've made there about the government benefits. So we have this staff shortage crisis. I talk with lots of people. People only have ideas. No one has a concrete reason why it is. And one of the most concrete things that people have been telling me is that we don't have the overseas workers. But I'm just not sure that that's the reason for this staff shortage crisis. What do you think, Keith?
2: Um, I think, uh, Troy touched on it before, it's a, it's a low-paying industry. And, you know, when you know when this all started 12, 18 months ago was when it really sort of, you know, I started noticing it a lot with a, a lack of staff Um or lack of applicants, actually, um, let alone staff. But uh, um, it was because other businesses reacted, other industries reacted. So, you know, say you're getting paid, uh, let's just round figures, call it $20 an hour um, as a cabinet maker. Well, all of a sudden they paid $30 an hour for a labourer. Um, and let's say open space was paying 22 bucks an hour, you know, people jumped for money. Um, you know, I remember seeing, you know, bar and wait staff for $50 an hour. Um, you can't compete with that. Um, we just we just can't compete with that. Don't know about Troy, but I know UMS can't compete with that. So uh, you know, people were leaving uh, for money. You know, a lot of construction projects going on um, in Victoria. Um, you know, as a labourer, you can you can go and work on one of those you know the um, tunnel projects or something like that for $50, 60 dollars an hour, um, and that's great if you want the money. But you know what I said to a lot of people. You've got to enjoy your job, and if if you enjoy um, going to work somewhere for six weeks and um, shoveling up rock for fifty bucks an hour, then then go for it. But you know, if you you've got to be happy going to work because you'll leave that job and you will be back in that vicious cycle of trying to find another job, starting again, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. some people, you know, everyone's got their own own reasoning about leaving or joining a company, but. Um, I think that's what really played it hard as other industries reacted and increased wages, um, and a lot of people followed the money.
0: What do you reckon, Troy? Yeah, no,
1: I agree with that. I, I think the, in terms of the the point you made at the start about the overseas workers, it, it's it's just a, I guess a compression thing, which which links into what mm. Keith was saying because they're not in doing those uh, itinerant type. Uh, jobs that would typically be done so they're not necessarily workers who would have come in and come straight into the horticultural industry but uh, they would have gone into other industries and because they're not there fulfilling those jobs we are uh, losing staff to to those industries or those spaces because they are paying more money just to get people to come and work so look it's a it's a tricky one because it's, it's a great thing for the individual and it's a great thing for the worker because uh a strong labour market low unemployment is a is a phenomenal thing uh for individuals uh but obviously from a business perspective it, it does make it very tough
2: mm.
0: and troy what would you say if someone's listening right now and they're thinking well why don't you just raise wages then <laughs>
2: i'm glad
1: i'm glad you <laughs> that one troy <laughs> yes yeah it, it's a it's a it's a pretty easy one to answer but a but a tough one to answer as well it's it, it's a it's a full circle thing you know if if we uh, pay more money, then we charge. Let's talk about local government. Then we charge local government more, and then local government charge more rates, and the rate pay more rates. <laughs> so they then need to earn more money uh, by asking us ask for more money to do the same job. So it's just one of those cyclical things that that just essentially cr- creates inflation. So um, I just I think it's the way the industry is going to be for some time now until. Until uh, the the labor market settles down a little bit and the inflation settles down a little bit, um, so yes, it's, it's it's a bit of a
0: cycle that we're stuck in. I think. Mm. So Heath, I'm sorry, I'm go- not going to let you get away without <laughs> a tricky question. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the future in horticulture? Is there going to have to be a raise in wages to match this expectation from workers? Like over the long term, is this something we're going to see in the next five, ten, fifteen years?
2: I think I, I think the short answer is yes, um, but it also depends a lot on um, specification and frequency uh, of what you know the local government wants or the client wants. Um, you know, if they want um, to maintain um, status quo as you know as of today, um, well you know, petrol's gone up X amount, um, wages are going up, you know, twenty percent or whatever it is. Um, it's not sustainable. So what will happen is, um, you know, companies like uh, smaller companies uh, might give them uh, uh, more of an opportunity to enter the bigger market. But you know, it's tough. Troy, Troy will probably agree with me. You know, for these local government contracts, you, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just you know six guys, six vehicles, and a, and a couple of mowers. There's a lot of cost, there's a lot of systems, there's a lot of processes, you know, OH&S that needs to be in there. Um, there's just, there's a lot that goes into it that adds up the price and, you know, the profit margins for companies like, you know, GLG and UMS and that, they're not high at all. They're, right. they're not high. Um, and that's why, you know, we rely on long-term contracts. Um, you know, there's obviously works that come along that and it opens up, you know, um, more areas within the local government, you know. As, as JLG and UMS have, you know, other arms to our business that can provide opportunity in there. But it's not a, a high-profit um, industry, um, so something's got to give um, and it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out over the next couple of years.
0: Mm, I completely agree. I think um, there's a disconnect there between employers and employees because I think a lot of the time employees sit there thinking that, you know, oh, all the boss does is sit up in these <laughs> office you know, playing solitaire or whatever. And, you know, like, oh, well, why don't you just raise wages? You're just being cruel. No, actually, it's a very complex system behind, you know, economics is very complex and business is very complex. It's not just as simple as, um, you know, some people would have you believe. I think that um, as an industry, I, I think that wages are going to rise because the only people that are going to be able to find staff are going to be the ones who can offer that pay packet in the future and I mean this is going to have to be something that takes years you can't fix this overnight um yeah what do you think Troy
1: yeah I agree look I think um and thinking about it I guess hopefully uh you know understanding who's listening to the podcast wages certainly need to rise uh I, I think the best way for that to happen is more advocacy around the importance of parks. So, you, you know, you've got the likes of Greening Australia and there's greening organisations uh, popping up state by state now. It has, it does feel like, and again, I don't want to keep talking about COVID, but COVID did help our industry a lot in terms of um, helping people put a true value on parks. And I think there's, it feels like there's been a, a good shift. I hope the shift stays and, and, Continues for some time, but there is certainly a lot of momentum in that space now with uh, urban planners and how much uh, emphasis they're putting on the on the parks and the open spaces that they're designing uh, nowadays. A lot of the new developments that I see coming up have um, uh, where it may have in the past been a, quite a, a generic type of open space mm. or park. they are thinking a lot about walking trails. Uh, you see a lot of of development of um say natural um sorry uh national parks with their walking trails parks victoria have been phenomenal in that space over the last couple of years in terms of activating their areas um and so yeah, i think it, it's it's something that'll the more we advocate for it uh the more valuable it becomes uh, to everybody and, and that helps with then being able to pay more money to then service and look after those areas mm.
0: So you're talking about interesting parks and gardens there, as opposed to, you know, just a footy oval or whatever. Yes. I actually think that you guys have some really great examples for that, where I was working in the Windham Ward there, so at Point Cook and all that. There's some beautiful native plants and some beautiful native wildlife, and some of the environments that you guys are looking after there are very rich in bird life, frogs and insects and stuff like that. And it was sort of music to my ears working in that environment, you know, just doing some hand weeding and Listening to the breeze and listening to the frogs, and I think that that's the part of horticulture that people miss out on. Would you agree, Troy?
1: Oh, most definitely. I think it's it's uh, under underappreciated for sure. Uh, even even activating areas under power lines, it's something that I've noticed a lot, um, especially in Victoria over the last couple of years. Of you'd have these big power line easements. Um, which are just big ugly spaces that used to be just um, big grassed areas, and they're putting uh, beautiful pathways and jogging tracks and walking tracks and gardens through them now, and it's uh, it's just utilising and, and or utilising space or a- adding value to a space that otherwise existed that just didn't um, wasn't appealing to to uh, to visit.
0: Mm-hmm. So Heath. Let's say there's someone listening to this episode right now. They have never been a gardener before, other than just recreationally. They've never been a professional gardener and they're thinking, oh man, there must be so much to it. Like I listen to the Plants Grow Here podcast and there's always just so much to it. There's no way I could possibly do that for a job because I would be overwhelmed at the sheer amount of knowledge that I would have to take on. Like, is it really like that working in parks and gardens or is it quite you know you get given a simple amount of tasks and they're actually quite reasonable to achieve what what's required of you
2: yeah, yeah. if if we engage a qualified horticulturist um the expectation um is a lot higher than if we um employ uh i guess someone with with minimal to no experience um my advice is you know if people are willing to to listen um you know all companies have great people um, mm. and, you know, I'd be <laughs> astonished if if people were thrown in the deep end and said, you know, um, you know Frank, go and, go and uh, do some horticulture at a park with, with Fred and you both started yesterday. It's not going to happen. And if it does happen, well, probably not the company to work for. Um, mm. You know, I, I know when we have people um, that start, whether they are qualified or unqualified, um, they're, they're set with a team. Um, whether that's one person, two people, three people, whatever it is, they're in a team um, and they're guided through um, whether that takes them a week, three months, 12 months, two years, whatever it is. Um, We've got plenty of apprentices um, that have finished their apprenticeship and still work for our company today. Um, So it's not hard. Um, If you're willing to listen and you've got the right people around you, then you'll succeed. And, And I think that's any industry, just not open space. Um, if you've got the the will and the patience to and the want to listen um, and you've got the right guidance then then you'll be totally fine
0: yeah totally look gardening something that you have to practice at you know you can't just read a book and you know listen to a podcast it's something you've got to get out there and do it you've got to get your hands in the soil you've got to have a crack and all of this takes time so there definitely is like you say there's an expectation that you haven't improved yet. <laughs> you haven't had any time to improve. So how can we expect you to go out there and do horticultural work? So there's going to be a lot of hedging. There's going to be a lot of brush cutting, a lot of mowing, and those tasks. While they're, let's face it, they're physically demanding, and you're going to go home and you'll be tired and you'll sleep well that night. But it's not a mental stress. It's a, it's a, it's a stress on the physical body, and the physical body gets stronger. So you know, I reckon there's probably about two months ish to get your body conditioned to using the machines and. If you're working with a good crew they'll give you the grace so they'll be like look you've done enough hedging this morning you've already hedged for a couple of hours how are your arms feeling here jump on the rake instead now like what do you think Troy do you think that that's happening in environments
1: I, I think you just nailed it I think it's probably less so about actually the the things you do but it's about talking about it with the staff It's actually listening to them and hearing that they've had a hard day and and sore and I guess that's that's another space where our industries had to evolve because it, you know, historically was a very um, masculine, uh, hardworking or, you know, perceived hardworking industry, whereas we need to be a little bit more open to the, the people coming in uh, needing to just talk about how they're going for the day or having a hard day on the whip and wanting to do something different the next day and understanding that that's something we need to facilitate because... Uh, uh, people being able to to run five days a week, you know, at seven or eight kilometers an hour, walking along with a brush cutter, uh, is just just too tough, and and people just don't want to do that anymore. So we have to be have to be uh, a little bit more mindful of um how our staff are feeling and um what what gives them enjoyment and and just as you said, talking to them and and asking them questions and seeing how they're feeling.
0: I'm going to be biased here because I have worked for GLG before, but I will say that you guys actually do have quite a diverse workforce from what I've seen. And I also saw um, somebody taking a mental health day off. There's a mental health plan there and some sort of stuff like that. And I think as a a person in this industry, I'd really like to see that because – um, you know we want diversity in our workplaces and mental health is part of the diversity you know people who struggle with mental health do need jobs and um, I think this industry is one of the best industries for people with mental health what do you reckon Troy?
1: I, I yeah agree wholeheartedly and it's again another thing that, that needed to evolve you know through our through our management as well is to, to understand that I think in all industries across everything that's something that uh, I think everyone's matured in a lot, um, realising that, that mental health is so important um, and, and how we do it, uh, how we approach it, how we support it, and, and genuinely not just tokenistic. Mm. Um, so it's a little bit tricky. There's a lot of education that needs to happen there. I, I'm still learning every day with it and get approached with with challenges that are that are new. Um, but the other thing I just sort of wanted to expand on too, which I, you sort of touched on or made me think of, Uh, even down to sort of cultural differences Um, and that was something where I think uh, us as a business you know we tried to be good in that space but you can't be good in that space unless you've actually got uh, people in your organisation who are actually uh, of those cultures so you you can't have a 40 year old white male uh, trying to do things for various different cultures, you, you need to actually have genuinely employed people in those spaces, so they actually understand and can support. Um, you know, for example, if we're uh, uh, you know trying to attract people from certain cultural backgrounds, um, you've got to be understanding of. Um, Try not to be too specific, but you know, religious um, times in terms of prayer times and those sorts of things, you know, so there's actual understanding of of what we need to do to accommodate uh, those people.
0: We've just had Diwali as well. Yes. So, Heath, what do you think about this? Like, is a diverse background something that's valuable, or is it just, you know, if you can do the work, good enough?
2: Oh, yeah. uh, I am. Oh, not I. UMS, and I think if if any company is not open to um, anyone, anyway, it's not even a, a subject for me anymore. I don't do not doesn't even phase me or, or UMS um, or any business that shouldn't. Um, whether you're white, black, male, female, um, from India or Croatia, or it doesn't worry me, and it, and it shouldn't worry anyone. Um, I, you know, I've had. Um, Many staff from from India that that left the business to move back home five years ago, and we still stay in touch to this day. Um, you know, it turned into a friendship. Um, so much so, uh, I won't mention names, but you know, up until pre-COVID, I used to get an email, and it used to say um, his pant size, his shirt size, and his shoe size. Um, and he say I didn't offer him the job. He would just say, "I'll be here on October the fifth, size seven, extra large." 36 pants, and he would just be here. And uh, it was great. And, you know, I've seen them have, you know, their children and, you know, even invited us overseas to their weddings. And um, I couldn't go, obviously. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, I, I think that diversity is a good thing. Um, and I, yeah, I welcome it, UMS welcome it. I think it's, it's great. And um, it's also good for people. You know, we're out in the gardens, we're weeding, having a chat, learning new things about, you know, other people. Um, that white masculine man that this industry used to be 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, it's not a thing anymore. Um, you know, the, the people that we have currently working for us are from all ages, backgrounds, so on and so forth. And I think it's an exciting thing. I mean, yeah, some days can get a bit boring out there. Um, but, yeah, meeting new people, I think that's a enjoyable part of the role.
0: I completely agree. Couldn't agree more, Heath. So I guess, you know, it was a bit unfair. I did give Troy and GLG a bit of a shout-out for their Wyndham Ward, which I think was pretty cool, but I think you guys have got a pretty cool role in – like, one I really want to bring up that UMS have up on the job board right now, and that's the Formula One Grand Prix <laughs> uh, work that you're doing at Albert Park there. Like, how cool would it be to work there?
2: It is
1: cool. It's funny. I might apply I might apply for a job there if that's <laughs> all right. I'm a bit jealous of that one as
2: well. It's uh, it's funny you talk about that, Daniel. Yesterday, UMS held a um, – a seminar. One of we've got a couple of them for um, applicants to, to come and learn about the Grand Prix, and and um, you know we sort of told them what's involved, and um, you know when we sort of went and asked the the, the people that, that came, you know, why are you doing this? Like what attracted you? And yeah, everyone said the Grand Prix. I mean, it's one of the biggest events in in Australia. Um, it's pretty exciting. It is, it is tough down there. Um, it's, it's hard work, especially on you know 35 degree days with the uh, heat coming off the asphalt. But it's fun. Like it's 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 very busy, um, but it's it's great to be part of. And then you know you you watch it on TV, and you know we mowed that bit of lawn, and you know mm-hmm. we did this and we did that, and you know you get a real sense of enjoyment um, and ownership, and you're sort of proud from it. Um, and because it's such a well-known event. Um, I think that's what attracts a lot of people down there, um, and it, it, it's it's a tough few months down there, but it's very rewarding at the end.
0: So, what sort of tasks would somebody working on that site be performing?
2: Um, so, there's uh, it comes in in stages, um, but there's a lot of um, you know, there's your mowing, there's your brush cutting, there's mulching. Um, you turn a park into a racetrack, um, and you know, not just any racetrack, you know, a Formula One racetrack. So um yeah, there's, there's times throughout the build that, you know, you're mowing at night because um, you can't mow during the day. Um, there is um, – it's extremely busy. Um, you know, there's all different – you know, many, many different businesses and companies down there setting up grandstands. You rock up the next day and, you know, pit straights open and then all of a sudden that road's closed and now it's a racetrack. Um, it's exciting. Days go very quick down there um, but predominantly – You're mowing, you're brush cutting, you're edging, uh, re-turfing, re-mulching, tasks like that.
0: Mm. It's a massive site. It's huge.
2: Five k's around it. Um, Is that
0: right, the circumference? Yeah, roughly. Yeah, Yeah. right. It's a big walk.
2: It is a big walk, especially when you've got to do the edges on the way back as well, so call that 10.
0: (laughs) I like it when you can do it one way and then come back to your youth again without fueling up. (laughs) But that's probably too big. <laughs> probably might be a bit of driving up to the other other side. Yeah. But um look, I'd like to ask you, Troy, like I did I did sort of in a roundabout way ask Heath, but I'd like to come back to you again, Heath, shortly. But Troy, what advice would you give to somebody who's entering our industry without any experience whatsoever?
1: It's a very good question. I, I th- yeah. I think just come in with an open mind uh, and certainly be communicative. So um, don't be shy to ask questions. Uh, We're we're trying to be better at making sure we we listen to and understand what it is that people have to bring to the industry. Um, Don't write yourself off because, and, and we need to be better about how we advertise too, but don't write yourself off because you might not fit everything that the job advert has. Um, you know for example we've had uh, we had a lady come in she um, needed to support her husband two days a week he was in sort of care the other three um, and so she could only offer sort of three days a week and she didn't want to be too far from home so we ended up just creating a little run uh, around that area for her because she was just such a gem of a person so um, yeah I think it just give it a crack um ask lots of questions put yourself in front of us because um if we're smart and we're switched on we'll we'll see the value and what it is that you have to bring and we'll we'll do our best to sort of make that work
0: Mm. what about you heath any advice for someone new some new blood getting into our industry
2: uh yeah very similar to, to to troy um flexibility Um, people think five days a week is required. It's not. Um, we've got plenty of people, um, similar to the lady that, um, Troy was just talking about then. Um, we've got, uh, women that have been on maternity leave. Um, you know, need to get their kids to daycare. Um, if, if you're a good person and, and we're smart, um, we'll see the value. Um, so exactly, exactly what Troy said. Put yourself in front of us, um, And I think that you'll find that you'll be employed um, in one way or another uh, in in the open space field very quickly. Because at the end of the day, good people is better than a good worker, um, is my belief. So if you're a good person and you're willing, um, then you will end up being a good worker um, and you'll add value to, to whatever company that you work for.
0: Completely agree. So, yeah, you know, it's not rocket science. Like, this is this is gardening. Like, they're, they're really great jobs and they're, they're out there. Like, they're ready for you to pluck them up. So I hope people are listening right now, typing in hortpeople.com to have a look at these jobs. So what about, Troy, advice for someone who's already a few years into their gardening career wanting to advance to the next level, like whether that's tendering or management or even a team leader role. What, how do you get from being on the tools, you know, starting that journey into upper management in a big company? I,
1: I think it's the same thing. I think you have to ask. Um, it's, it is our job to to identify that, but don't sit back and wait for that. I think the the one thing that the younger generations do incredibly well is they don't sit back and wait for things to come their way. Uh, and I know depending on who you talk to, especially when you maybe talk to a a Gen X they sit back and think well geez that's look at them you know they they've worked for six months and they want to be the the MD but I think that's um a little bit of resentment if anything else because I think well why wasn't I um that aggressive or or that proactive about my own career so um I love seeing that in people um you know the best people that we've employed recently you'll sit on the other side of the table and they'll you'll say you know where do you see yourself in 12 months and they'll say sitting in your seat and it's (laughs) You love that type of um, uh, enthusiasm, and so yes, certainly, um, s- certainly these days, um, that type of enthusiasm, is, of course, delivered the right way, is is never taken offensively. It's actually exciting to hear, and and whenever we, we get that from people, we do whatever we can to uh, to facilitate that to help them on that pathway. Um, I'm sure UMS are the same. Every there's, there's not too many businesses that don't offer training programs and those sorts of things. But certainly, um, just making sure that they're uh, they're very, you know, you're asking for what you want and being clear on that, so that we can we can actually take some action and do something about it.
0: That's a great point. Communication is so key. And Heath, what do you reckon? How can we? you know match our actions with our words like what are some ways that we can practically show that we want this you know progression after we've already said it?
2: Uh, actions speak louder than words that that I would say you know from my point of view um, even myself I, I started with UMS 15 years ago uh, as a mowing operator um, and I've worked my way through the company probably in the right place at the right time a, a few of those times but worked my way through. Um, I was in front of um, my coordinators or contract managers. What can I do? How do I get here? Um, I used to stay back after work and and speak to my uh, superiors like, I can do this. I'll do that. Give me a chance to take on this project Uh, and they gave me that um, responsibility. I've got a couple of contract managers now that have been with, with the company for uh, seven and ten years respectively. And um, one was a backpacker from Sweden that fell in love, got married and, you know, ten years later he's a contract manager He he's meant to be here for two weeks. Um, <laughs> and he's just worked his way up. And, you know, to hear Troy say the people that sit there and say I want your job in 12 months, one of my contract managers said that to me five years and you know, he became a contract manager oh, three months ago. Um, so from my point of view to see him come to the interview and say I want your job. I'm like, Mate, you can have it. Um, come and come and get it. Come and get it. Um, it it's exciting. It's exciting for for managers and, and Troy alike. You know, it's exciting for us to. I, I You know, my goal is to make my job redundant because that means I've done my job. Um, that means that's given other people opportunity beneath me. Um, and, you know, that's the exciting bit. You know, the, that's the bit as, you know, as managers that you see these people come through and, you know, you can get down a bit on, on some days with, you know, life and, you know, work and all that. But then you see these eager younger people, um, not just younger. I'll touch on the older ones in a second. But the, the younger ones are that just crave it. So, you know, communication and, and action speak louder than words. Um, sometimes we can all say we want something, but, you know, show me how you want that. Um what can you do? Put in some extra time, ask some questions, you know, uh, research some training that might benefit you that the you know, the company may provide, um, should provide, um, and I think the results will speak for himself. Um, time is also one thing. Um, you've got to give it a bit of time. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. to learn. We all think that we know everything and I make mistakes every day. Um, my boss says to me, just don't make them twice. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think learning and 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 making mistakes and learning from them will make you uh, excel in the next role, um, whatever that might be. Um, so that would be my advice.
0: I think that's really fantastic, Heath, to hear someone who's in your position talking about that you still make mistakes and that you have a boss as well. You know, you don't get to contract manager or you know these upper levels, and then there's no one to answer to. Even the biggest boss in the company still answers to the client, so you're always going to have someone to answer to. I think ego is a big barrier sometimes, especially, I'm sorry, as a young man, I can say it. um, Young men sometimes get a big ego about it. And I've noticed over my career, sometimes people who say that they want these opportunities, then don't necessarily put in the work. And then people who put in the work aren't necessarily saying they want the opportunity. So I think there's definitely both. You really need to have the actions and the words. What do you think, Troy?
1: Most definitely, and, and and that goes right up to, to my level, and, and I like to Heath, you know, talking about how uh, his progress through the organisation, and I think good organisations, and I do have a lot of respect for UMS, um, and what Campbell's built. Um, I think good organisations are the ones that have staff in those those management positions who have grown through the organisation. Um, and that's what we like to do and try to do as well. Um, you now, talking about, you mentioned about uh, everyone having someone to answer to, I think I probably mostly answer to my staff <laughs> uh, because they they certainly know a lot more about what we do than me because they're on the ground you're meeting with the residents, you're working with their, their peers, they know what works, what doesn't, um, and they're certainly the ones that I need to hear from when things aren't going right or things aren't where they, they should be. Um, they've generally always got the answers. We just need to um, flesh that out but then support them in taking those actions to achieve whatever it is we need to, to achieve to, to get to the outcome that we're all seeking.
0: Well said, yeah. Um, someone said on the re- podcast recently, we all rise with the rising tide. And I think that's true. You know, a good company, when you've got people rising up through the ranks should be expanding and there's always going to be you know, positions there. So it's not like you ever steal someone's job. And I don't think that anyone in management ever feels threatened by someone with that ambition. Or well, I guess some people probably do, but, you know, in, the, in a right world, we wouldn't feel threatened by that. Yeah. So I'd always like to ask guests one final question at the end, and it's pretty open-ended. It's basically what would you like the listeners to know about? Who wants to go first?
2: Um, I guess, you know, uh, if you want to enter the open space market, I mean, we've touched on it for the last half an hour or so, um, open space companies are open-minded now, and I think I can, you know, hopefully say that for everyone. Um, We are all willing, and especially UMS, are willing to... um, uh welcome people from from all backgrounds from all um experience levels to no experience um uh, into the company it, it is a great industry to working um I, I i say this to a, a few people every now and then you know, did i think i'd be sitting where i am um 15 years ago um no i, I was a landscaper and i thought i'd be jamie jury doing the uh fancy landscapes um <laughs> That's, that didn't work out. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad it didn't because it's opened my eyes to, you know, traveling, traveling the state, um, you know, traveling, uh, interstate, um, to have a look at the, the different types of horticulture, you know, up the Eastern seaboard and, and what, um, challenges they face. Um, it's exciting. It can be as exciting as you want it to be. Um, there's opportunity for growth, um, yeah, they're building parks every day, like I, I touched on earlier today. Um, it's a it's an enjoyable job. Um, you can make a really good career out of it. You can make, you know, made a lot of people through it. Um, networking. Um, there's a lot of conferences, a lot of training. Um, it's it's a it's a good job um, and it's a good industry. And uh, yeah, I would recommend it to to, to anyone.
0: Well said, Heath. What about you, Troy? It doesn't have to be on topic, anything at all.
1: Yeah, I, I think obviously if it's about bringing people to the industry, I think my, my one piece of advice would be to, to not uh, come with any preconceived ideas about uh, what you think the job might look like or what the expectations might be. Um, I came to the industry, my, my background was IT, so I've been here 15 years in in um, in this industry in this business and I guess when I came to it I had a completely different perception of what it was all about and it didn't take very long for me to realize that the the industry the people that are in it um, are just salt of the earth uh, we've got involved in a lot of sponsorship so we, we do a lot in the space particularly in the local government sector because there's, there's very much a a mutual benefit of that of uh, of our staff actually getting to spend time with with their peers uh, who are so like-minded and so passionate about the industry that it's it's the, the the whole time you're there is is incredibly enjoyable we spend a lot of time at work um, we sp- spend a lot of time doing this so to to have people around you that are, are passionate about it to have you know things like this podcast you know popping up that are helping generate that positivity and that um, that understanding of what it is we do is is so good so yeah just give it a go uh again come in with an open mind and and hopefully we can if it's us we can find something for you that that fits what you're looking for
0: well said troy thank you so much for your time boys thank you
1: fantastic thanks daniel thanks heath thanks troy cheers
0: surprisingly not all maintenance companies are named with a three-letter acronym Check out hortpeople.com to browse jobs with GLG, UMS, Skyline, Green Options, Landscape Solutions and many more companies including some small businesses. We need people like you to grab a new horticulture industry job. You don't have to hate your job to move either. Maybe there aren't any opportunities to advance where you are right now. By starting with a company like GLG or UMS, you've got the chance to rise up through the ranks as a team leader, then operations manager like Heath. Who knows, maybe one day you'll be part of the tender process, bidding on multi-million dollar projects. Or maybe you've got the ambition to become the CEO of a company, like Troy is. Check out the show notes and click the link that says hortpeople.com and take the next step in your career today.